So this morning, we're going to talk about how wisdom, like your ability to make wise decisions, is linked to worship, and also it's linked to relationships. You know, your life is actually bigger and more than just the sum of the decisions that you make. Your life is connected to not, not just what you decide in your head, but ultimately it's influenced by who you walk with life, well, who you walk with in life. Who you are fellowshipping with changes everything about what you decide, and that fact is the key to Proverbs, which unlocks the key to making better decisions. So we have a lot to talk about. If you were here last week, we pointed out how important the skill of decision-making is. It's uh, making decisions affects every single part of your life, but lots of people don't realize that you're not just stuck with your ability to make decisions. You can actually get better at it. Like uh, being wise, the ability to make good decisions is not genetic, is not chemical. It's a muscle you can exercise and get better at, and that is something worth doing. Because the fact is, when you make better decisions now, the results might not show up immediately, but making good decisions gives you the opportunity to have a better day, a better week, a better year. Uh, making decisions gives you a better life. You could be more successful at work, at school, with your family. You could have better relationships. You could have better finances. Your entire life would be better if you learned how to make wise decisions well, then actually execute them. Now, last week, I gave you a really simple assignment to get your feet wet in the topic, and it was to try reading one proverb a day. And there's 31 chapters. You could read one a day for a month. It's a wonderful exercise. In fact, I am, man, I wasn't going to do this, but it's early January, and a bunch of other years, I've pushed this harder, uh, the idea of reading your Bible. But uh, this year, I was, honestly, I was just pleasantly surprised by how many of you uh, came to me instead of me coming to you because several of you over the last week or two have talked to me about how much reading your Bible has helped you over the last year. And a bunch of you, and I'm, I'm so proud of you, a bunch of you in 2022 have consistently been in God's Word. In fact, I'm not going to name name. I don't have trophies to give out, but uh, uh, a bunch of you made it through the whole Bible last year, which is awesome. Um, and I am... Um, you know, I tend to keep pastoral conversations private, but I wish I could have videotaped what some of you told just me and played it on the big screen. Like a bunch of you told me how being in God's Word consistently gave you, like, I don't, don't want to repeat back at what you told me, but you told me that it, it helped you uh, in really difficult years. And some of you had to navigate some really hard, discouraging challenges in the last year. And a bunch of you have told me, I'm not like preaching at you, you, you preached at me. <laughs> you, you told me that spending time in God's word helped you through things you couldn't imagine in the last year. And again, I wish I uh, could share that with all of you because I think all of us should spend time in God's word this year. And Proverbs, what I said last week, it's such an easy way to start. Like, reading the Bible is hard. You open up Genesis, and like, I love the Bible, but like, sometimes you're reading it to make good decisions, and you're like, what in the world am I going to do? Whoa, <laughs> that's a lot. Proverbs makes it easy. 
In fact, today, if you, what's today? Uh, January 15th, if you opened up to Proverbs 15, what do we got here? You open it up, uh, verse 1. Oh, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Man, you can think about that for the rest of the day, right? This is really practical because most of you will talk to people who might be a little angry, and uh, instead of escalating things, you could try this, de-escalate things. Soft answers. Turn down the volume a little bit. Don't punch back really hard and watch the anger start melting away. This is a good word. You could do worse than thinking about that when you start your day, going into situations this week. Maybe if you followed that, you'd run into less anger, but uh, really practical. But there's a couple issues with this. Here's the challenges. One, uh, we talked about this last week. Like, read this, think about it. The first challenge we talked about this last week Proverbs is a rule book, not a playbook. In other words, you read something like this, and then you'll read another verse that says something different. The fact is, sometimes a soft answer is the right call. Sometimes pushing back hard is the right call. You've, You've experienced this, right? Sometimes a soft answer is good. Sometimes a hard push back is good. Wisdom is knowing which thing to do when. That's the first problem. The second challenge is what's what we called last week, what we said last week is that wisdom is always in relationship. It's always part of worship. And this is where this kind of thing is challenging because you come to church as a Christian or not a Christian and um, like this is not how it's supposed to work, right? It's not as though the Bible is a book of faith and about Christ and spirituality unless you're looking for answers about how to talk to angry people, Right? It should always be about God somehow. And you, you look at something like that and go, I mean, shouldn't studying the Bible bring you closer to Jesus and not just give you uh, advice about how to deal with angry people? In fact, you know, if you started last Monday reading a proverb a day, let's see, that was the eighth. You start on Monday, you open up Proverb 9, and Proverbs 9 doesn't have a lot of like, life advice. Proverbs 9 is way less clear. But today we're going to look at Proverbs 9 because I'm convinced that as confusing as it might look, Proverbs chapter 9 is the key to understand the entire book. Now let me explain. Proverbs 9, it, it, it looks like it's setting up a clear decision, proverb, uh, decision sort of thing. And the scenario isn't about anger or de-escalating arguments, but it's something just as relevant for the first readers of Proverbs. Oh, you should know this. Proverbs was originally written for princes. Like literally, it was written for young men who were going to be kings. So when you read any book like that, you'd expect a bias toward the topics that kings would deal with. Diplomacy, how to deal with angry people who are showing up with complaints is a king sort of issue. So maybe you expect, I don't know, princes, maybe you'd expect something about how to deal with the Pavarazzi or what, to or what not to put in books. Maybe you want to write something about how weird it is to look like Carson Wentz. (laughs) Young men especially haven't really changed a whole lot over the last couple thousand years. There's a lot in Proverbs about substance abuse and knuckleheaded friends, and it's a book written to princes. And you would expect in a book written to princes, one of the decisions would be about what sort of queen to find. Who do you marry? 
And if you just read Proverbs 9 really quickly, you would go, here is another proverb about a typical decision that princes have to make until you look a little closer. Because the closer you look, the more complicated it becomes. Let me unpack this. So Proverbs 9, your first read, it looks like you're reading it, and it, it feels like a modern dating situation. And I'm, I'm super old, so I had to look, at, look up what swap right means. But Proverbs 9 is like you're looking at different profiles of women, and you're picking the person to sit down at a meal with and spend the rest of your life with. That's Proverbs 9. But you, in this case, you have to put yourself in the headset. You're a young man looking for a wife. And you're young, and you also have to put this label on yourself. You're also dumb. And it, has, it might be a little complicated to imagine yourself as being a prince who's young and dumb. Like, you may not be a man who's a future king, but that's okay. You have to put yourself in that road to understand it. And you have to also be coming at this with humility, going, I am a little simple, I do have a lot to learn, and I'd rather learn from other people's mistakes than to make them myself because I am in danger of making dumb decisions. So that's the headspace you have to get into to understand the proverb. Here is, let's start off with young lady number one. Her name is Wisdom. It starts in verse one. She has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. And here's what she says. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. It's a metaphor, of course, but it's not a very complicated one. Her name is Wisdom, and what do we see about her? She works really hard. She's productive. She's built a house, and there's people who look at symbols behind the seven pillars, but really it's probably just a description of a very, very nice house. And she's got food. It's good food, a feast with meat and wine. And her, I mean, her address is important. We'll talk about this. She lives at the highest point of the city, and she invites people to dine with her. Let all who are simple come to my house, eat my food, drink the wine, walk in wisdom, live in the way of insight, and, and live. That's lady number one. But then, of course, there's option Number two, she has a different name. Her name is Folly. It's not a very complicated metaphor here. What's it say about Folly? She is an unruly woman. She is simple. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who, who, pass by, who go straight on their way. But all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there, and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So the second option, her name is Folly, 
and her profile says she is not a hard worker. She lives in chaos. Some translations say that she's loud, she's flashy, she's distracted, she sits in a house. Some commentators make the contrast that she's not building a house, she's sitting in one, she's unproductive. But again, look at her address, the highest point in the city, which is a fascinating thing to say. We're going to talk about that. Both options list the same exact address. And she's got food, but she didn't make it. It's stolen. But this is fascinating. Both women say the exact thing word for word. Let all who are simple come to my house. Lady Folly also says, come walk with me. Let's live our lives together. But man, this line, her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. That just hits you. It's poetic, but it's, it's not great. Now, if you're a young person looking for a spouse, I don't want to say this is useless. You could probably learn something to this. Um, if you're thinking pros and cons between two options, and if, if you're looking at two people, and one person is really a hard worker and the other one's good at shoplifting, like that's, I'm not going to say that it's not helpful to, to think about, but that's not what this is about. To understand this proverb, you need to know that it's much deeper than thinking about who to date. This is a much bigger life choice. I'll use the word pre-decision. That's what this is about. Joining someone at a table changes every other decision you make in life. This is a proverb about someone you're walking with, someone you're following, that is about life and death. Now, uh, let me give you some clues. You, you probably have a handout in your bulletin. This might be helpful to you. But in, in this chapter, the reader encounters two different women, and they both have the same invitation. There's wisdom and there's folly, and you're part of the metaphor too, right? You are imagined to be a young person walking through life you have two options, two voices in two directions, both inviting you to dine and have fellowship and live life with, and you've got to pick one. Both options say the same exact language. Let all who are simple come to my house. But both of them say the same thing. But who are these women? What do they stand for? Now, by the time you get to chapter 9 in Proverbs, Wisdom is already a familiar name for you. It's a person. You find her in chapter 1. A woman named Wisdom who calls out to people to learn. By the time you get to Proverbs 8, Wisdom is talking about her nature and purpose and her relationship with God. Wisdom is a fascinating theme of chapter 8. But the key to, to seeing what this is in chapter 9 is seeing where she lives. Does everyone remember where both of these women live? You do. Fill in the blank. The house is on the what? Highest point of the city. And uh, all of us living in 2023 in the West, that doesn't really ring loudly to us. But in the ancient Near East, that phrase, the highest point, would have jumped out as clear and vivid language of religion. That's, that's religious language. Because in every ancient Near Eastern city, all of them had one thing in common. That is, on the highest point of each city was reserved 
for the God of that city. Um, it's actually really embarrassing. I, I know like this much about Greek and Roman and Babylonian mythology. And uh, these days my kids are so into Greek and Roman mythology and stories. And you could ask Colette all the names of the Greek gods. You can tell the Roman equivalent. They're reading Percy Jackson and all these like funny books. Uh, they know all about this. Even in Percy Jackson, all the Greek and Roman temples are located at the highest place you could find in the city. And that's accurate. You could read uh, ancient history from a secular level. If you wanted to find where the God of love or the God of war or the God of uh, prosperity, if you were in a town and you wanted to go, where does this God live? You just look around, find the highest point of the city, and that's where the God lived. That's where the temple was. That, that's a big clue in our proverb. This is not a story about dating. This is a story about worship. It's about a person picking who they're going to worship. And the Bible says something really simple. Wisdom or folly. This Proverbs 9 is about deciding who you're going to sit down and eat with and live your life with. The point is what you live for, what you really value, your choice of who you're worshiping changes every other decision you make. That's what the highest part of the city is about. I mean, even in Jerusalem, right? In the city of Jerusalem, do you know what's at the highest point in the city? Mount Zion? The temple. This is about worship. Lady wisdom, lady folly is all about worship. Who are you going to live your life for? Wisdom, of course, represents God's wisdom and ultimately stands for worshiping, following God himself. On the other hand, the readers encounter, as we all do, another option. Not just God, but there's always other things calling out to the same exact people. And you'll notice the second lady, Lady Folly, lives at the same address. And she, in the Proverbs, stands for every alternative God to the Lord. In ancient Israel, there are lots of alternatives to living your life for God. The ancient Israelites had options like uh, Marduk or Iskar or Marduk. I said Mar that one already. Um, there were dozens of other gods that the Israelites were tempted to worship. And I have to explain all this because things have changed. Our options to worshiping the Lord don't always live on the highest mountains in the land, but they're still powerful. Like you think about the allure of money or sex or power or selfishness and the thousands of ways those masters tempt us to follow them in subtle or aggressive ways. Let's be honest, the influence of these other gods in the modern period are just as powerful as the temptation of the ancient gods. In fact, I think in some ways, I think having like idols that were statues made it a little easier. Like you could go, okay, so I see you're sacrificing the god Mars. Uh, you must really like wars, right? That, that's pretty simple. Or hey, what brings you to the temple of you know, the goddess of love? You must, I don't know, be lonely or looking for love. Or you're a Zeus guy. You must uh, be looking after power. Like it must have been so easy to see what people's motives were back then. Uh, it's a little harder today to see what 
people's agendas are. But the agendas are still there. We all have a bottom line. We've all got an agenda. We're all living for something. We just don't broadcast it as clearly as sacrificing to idols. In fact, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't even see ourselves what we're living for. But it's still true. Who you're with, the values that you elevate in your own heart influences every other big or small decision you will make for the rest of your life. So think about it. What do you really value? Like Tease that out. What gets you upset? What makes you excited? What are you really passionate about? What are you disinterested in? What do you like to talk about? What do you hate talking about? Those are some clues. Sometimes we don't even know. Like when you're upset, sometimes it's helpful to go, why am I in such a bad mood right now? Like sometimes when you ask those questions, you discover broken priorities or messed up promises. And we're complicated. We talk about values or a hierarchy of needs or the fact is the Bible makes it really simple. Who are you walking with? Whose table are you sitting at? God or self, wisdom or folly, God or pleasure, God or possessions, God or something that makes a lot of promises to fulfill you. But ultimately, you know, there's that line, her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. What are you going to live your life for? That's a simple decision that affects every other decision you make. We're all like simple humans, hearing the allure of both options, to impact the metaphor a bit, uh, calling out for worship. Will you as a person follow and live your life with wisdom or with folly? Will you live for God or an idol, for Christ or self, God or money, sex, power, pleasure, whatever else is in that camp? Folks, this is a much bigger deal than just how to get along with an angry person or what kind of spouse to look for. This choice here is about life or death. This is how to understand Proverbs. Wisdom ultimately gives life and the horrible truth about everything else that makes the same exact promises is that Lady Folly is a murderer. She invites people to a fine supper, but her guests never leave. They dwell in the realm of the dead, says Proverbs. So Proverbs offers us a giant choice to make. Here's a question we have to figure out. What what does that look like in your life? Like we're in church, we're singing songs, we're reading scripture. We talk a lot about wisdom. We understand what it means to have God call out to us, but it's worth asking, what does the competition look like? What are some commitments that maybe you've wandered toward and not even thought about? What are some pre-decisions that maybe you've made without thinking about it that influences everything else maybe in the wrong direction? And I don't know how to answer that. I don't know what else or who else has made promises to you that they can't keep. What I can talk about, though, is wisdom. This is the gospel, that there's someone inviting you to a table to form a relationship with you that gives life. Now, what's fascinating to me is that the New Testament, written a thousand years after the book of Proverbs, 
puts a giant equal sign, makes a connection between this lady, wisdom, who lives at the highest place in the city, and Jesus Christ. You see this in all sorts of places in the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul writes that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that's not original to the New Testament. It is a direct quote from Proverbs 8, making this really interesting connection between Lady Wisdom and the Lord Jesus. Where Jesus makes this connection in uh, Matthew 11, there's a scenario where Jesus' opponents are coming at him hard, and he just pushes back, wisdom is proved right by her actions, and it is self-defense. He's talking about himself. The New Testament over and over again connects wisdom to Jesus, to following Christ with following wisdom. I'll give you a couple more. In Colossians, Christ is called the wisdom of God. In him, it says, it's hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like even when he was on earth, or think about this one, before his passion, his, or he's shown to be wise through his teaching. Um, or I'll say this one, we've got a kids' church program. Some of you are like, why do we call it 252? It comes from Luke 2, chapter, 50, or chapter 2, verse 52, where it says, Jesus is said to have increased in wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. He's wise. Here is the key to understanding Proverbs as a Christian. It's always more than advice. Proverbs is more than just a secular how-to book that teaches you how to navigate through angry people or whatever. If you're a Christian, you're reading Proverbs, you are constantly confronted by the same exact question as the Israelites were. You're invited to a supper. You're invited to a relationship. You're invited to spend every part of your life with someone. Here's a question. Will it be wisdom or will it be folly? Will it be Christ or will it be, will it be everything else? And that decision of who you follow influences every decision you make. And today we celebrate communion. It's a table. It's the invitation. Christ invites, as wisdom did, let all who are simple come to my house. Come with your confusion, with your exhaustion. Come, come to the table with unanswered prayers and difficult questions. Bring your guilt and your shame. Come to the house of God and find in faith the love of God. And let him lead you as, as if you're a sheep and he's a loving shepherd. And as you live with him, as you fellowship with him, as you follow him, you will find the way of life and insight. So Father in heaven, we ask you to give us wisdom, not just the ability to make good decisions, but more, more than that, oh God, can you give us a relationship with wisdom herself. Help us to be close to Christ. We need your tender care. And we belong to you. And help us to seek you. And can you, just like a shepherd, lead us your sheep. I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.